We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Today is November 14th, 2021, and Gary Wayne is back. Gary Wayne, the author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, he returns to talk about the Nephilim, the Second Incursion, the New Nimrod, the Antichrist, the End Times, all of these signs, COVID, portals, unicorns. You won't believe the stuff you're about to hear. It is such an interesting deep dive into the content of his book. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you like this show, give us five stars, uh, leave a good review, and tell your friends about it. That really is the best way that you can support the show. And without further ado, let's get into our interview with the great Gary Wayne. Your local writer's group is crap. Stop burning off your free time in the presence of introverted do-nothings. Instead, join the Goslings Writers Group live stream and podcast, The Goslings, a digital gang for writers. Writers who actually write stuff, who use typewriters, writers who name their pit bulls Hemingway, writers who write all the people who've ever offended them into their stories, then murder the shit out of them, The Goslings. We don't always act pretentious, but when we do, we wear f***ing ascots. Welcome to The Goslings. Write like a man. He's a typewriter. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. Take up the broken sword of your father. And strike down the darkness. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. What is that? You know what? It's bullet. It's regular old bullet. Standard issue bullet. But I've been decanting it in our skull decanter. <laughs> He's been letting it simmer. Yeah. <laughs> so well, hey, everyone. Good. I'm uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm Nick. And we are the Goslings. And we are extremely excited today to have uh, the return of the king, man. Yes, I absolutely. Mean, you know, uh, we have been extremely blessed to, um, to get uh, none other than the man himself. The author yes. of the Genesis Six Conspiracy, yep. um, Gary Wayne. Yeah, give it up, everybody. Everybody, ladies and the gentlemen, master. the incomparable, the master, Gary, Gary Wayne. Wayne. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> Doing very well. And uh, 
I'm so happy to be back with you. I'm not sure I can live up to the intro. I will <laughs> humble myself and do my best. Um, but uh, it's becoming a good theme, to be back with you. Know? <laughs> you live up to the intro. We're trying to come up with an intro that is suitable. And we I do. Think we yeah. fall short every time. Yeah, we struggle to find an intro that, uh, yeah, we're kind of like Wayne and Garth in a lot of ways. It's a real treat to have you. Uh, last time we covered just a whole range of stuff yeah, in your really book. And this time we still have a whole range of stuff. We've got a little more time with you this time, too, which we yeah. really appreciate. Yep. And uh, we might actually drill down a little deeper on a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first, about the book Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Actually, Jonathan had a great opening question Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, about the book. So, you know, for people like me and Nick, um, we are, we're already pretty deep down the rabbit hole. We're already, you know, super fans of your work and, uh, we get it. We're there. Um, you know, one thing that I have run into with trying to tell people about the Genesis six conspiracy is, um, they don't seem to really grasp why it's important, even from a Christian perspective. Uh, I sometimes think that, you know, people disregard it um, out of uh, condescension because it seems a little fairy taleish to them. Yeah. Nick seems to err more on the side that it seems I think they're a little afraid. For you, Gary, um, why should Christians care about the Genesis 6 conspiracy? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think it's a very, very good question. And I think I would start with maybe a little bit further downstream on the answer and to kind of work back. And so okay. there's two things that ministers, priests, churches don't tend to teach and don't teach a lot about if they do for the most part, that's prehistory and prophecy. And so they're not preparing people for the end time. So if we are in the end time, and I think we are in the fig tree generation, Yes. I'm not predicting any dates, but I think I think we're in that fig tree generation. We don't know how long that generation is. It could be 70 years. It could be 120 years. It could be a generation as described as 40 years. And then you need to be able to pick the start date. So, uh, and I think Jerusalem may very well be that fig tree sign that starts it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but even if we weren't, and even if you weren't sure but you always want to be watching as Jesus instructed us. Yeah. Then yeah. you have to be able to teach prophecy. The difficulty with teaching prophecy is it is as extraordinary, um, supernatural as is the Genesis six, one through four aspect. And what's even more interesting, fascinating for me is that if you want to understand prophecy in its fullest extent, you have to understand prehistory. Yes. Because so much of the allegory, so much of the context yeah. is there. So if you want to understand mm. who Babylon is, you want to understand who these beings are that are coming out of the abyss in Revelation 9, you, you, yeah. have, to, you have to be able to understand what happened there so you can understand who the beast kingdoms are. Yeah. And so in the churches, they're not teaching this because they're not taught this in seminary schools, either in Catholicism really? or Protestantism. They're not, and they're told not to teach it. So really? I'll actually get 
lots of ministers coming to me and asking for information. Um, and I always, you know, give it back so that they've got it in the biblical matchups, right? I can give them the other context because they're just not taught that. And it's, yeah. it's quite, quite an eye opener, uh, unfortunately, because they've not been prepared to lead the flock. Mm. Yeah. And they're mm -hmm. not leading the flock. So, so if, if, we're in one of the birth pangs today, as in the pandemic, which yeah. is one of the four birth pangs, which you have to understand what that means and uh, how it fits into the end time. We, should, we ought not to be surprised then that we've had no leadership from any of the churches, for the most part, all around mm -hmm. the world. We have some exceptional ministers and priests here and there, but that's the exception. So we ought not mm -hmm. to be surprised at that. So... If you want to learn about what affects the world today, you have to learn about prehistory and history. If you want to know how our organizational structures came about, why they're doing what they're doing, what the political agendas are, yes. you have to learn about where that came from and what their agenda is. And that mm -hmm. begins for, began for me with trying to figure out how do these darn giants in Genesis <laughs> 6, 1 through 4, fit into prophecy and what the heck are they doing in the book anyways? yeah yeah <laughs> why are they yeah. in there yeah in the first place yeah, yeah well it sounds like some like it so much of somebody's understanding of prehistory hinges on genesis 6 yeah. uh those first four yeah. verses like how they interpret yeah. that colors in what prehistory looks like and consequently how they're how they're going to be able to interpret revelation and in times prophecy yeah well and and what's really interesting is what churchgoers are told about those four verses. They're right. told that the sons of God Righteous aren't angels. Sons of Seth. Right? They're <laughs> either Sethites or it's the yeah. sons of God in the New Testament. Except right. that humans can't create giants. Right? But then right. they and, and the sons here. and the sons of God in the New Testament is a prophecy of the resurrection and a gift from the spirit so that we can be adopted like sons of God, like mm -hmm. angels, because mm -hmm. we have right. human fathers. And there's like 15 verses that go with it that, that build that for you. First John, and, now are we the sons of God? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then they say, well, giant is an exaggeration. Well, you know what? Right. It probably should have been in Genesis 6, 4, translated as Nephilim to be accurate, but the understanding of that word was giant. And yeah. so either way, if you look up the definition for giant, it means a bully, a tyrant, a giant, and a tribe of giants. And these were the men of renown and the mighty ones. So what fits with, with the mm -hmm. definition in the context? And it's yeah. giant. And then people say, well, it's an exaggeration. Well, you're telling me that the Bible's inaccurate now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and doesn't the, that, and yeah. doesn't the Greek translation of that? So Nephilim is a Hebrew word, and then the Greek translation of it in the Septuagint is uh, gigantos, uh, which obviously is where we get the word giant. But that word, that Greek word, can also be translated as earthborn. Well, oh. it, yes. Well, that's that's again what they all bring up. And I was in a, in a, in a debate uh, on Thursday, and somebody you know called this the tyranny of the oppression of the word giant on Western civilization <laughs> because he was using that argument. And he's right. The gigantes does mean earthborn, as interesting the offspring of Gaia. And Uranus or Kronos, and it was part of the Gigantes mm -hmm. or the 
Hecaton cherries or carries, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Mm. But yeah. that's not the only root word for uh, the giants. It's related to Gigantes, and Earthborn is part of it, just as it became an allegory for the human uh, wives as being Earthborn to create the demigods as uh, offspring of a god and a human female as it comes out mm -hmm. of Greek mythology and as what we get out of Genesis 6-4. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they were earthborn gods, they were the demigods. So there's that part of it, but that's yeah. not the real thing. Gigantes actually, um, and giant, both go back to the word gigas, as we would say it in English, but it's actually could be a gaiz or yais, because if you if you have the G that's coming out of in Greek um, letters and in pronunciations, this is the gamma that looks like a Y, and followed by an mm. I, mm -hmm. and or and an E, and I think it's just the two letters turns it from a G sound to a Y sound. So that's why you get Gyges or Gyes, as it's also spelled, that were part of these Gigantes, which was a group of giant monsters with 50 heads and necks mm. and 100 <laughs> hands coming out of their shoulders. So these yeah. were monsters. And yeah. Gyges goes back to Gygas, G-I-G-A-S, uh, as we would spell it. And mm -hmm. that means giant. So it's wow. both. So people, just as in prophecy, uh, just as in a lot of teachings in the Bible, and just as people who are trying to shatter or argue something because they know people may not look into all of the details, they do not include all of the passages, all of the information. Hmm. They only select uh, yeah. it. And when mm -hmm. people are talking about prehistory and prophecy, <clears throat> and doctrine, you can't leave out the inconvenient passages. <laughs> right. Just yeah, because yeah. they don't fit your preconceived <laughs> thought. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah, to yeah, put yeah. it all together and it's got to fit. So yeah. does the word go back to Gigantes as Earthborn? Absolutely. But it also is the root, it's rooted in giant, as it was understood. And these were monstrously sized individuals. They're the great heroes. They're the demigods. Mm -hmm. And you get all of that put together out of Hesiod in Theogony. And then every, all, all the other sort of, not all, but a lot of the other Greek uh, writings feed off of that. You should ask about the um, related that, the, the second incursion. Well, yeah. So that's, see, that's such a good answer to that question because so much of what, uh, what I've encountered with like friends and family who are Christians, but who just have never been taught this, they all, Gary, they all kind of treat this subject matter as empty calorie material. And it's yeah. like, but it's not, but you don't no, understand. Like, yeah, 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 yeah it is. It, it is fun. Yeah. It's core material. You haven't had the scales removed from your eyes yet. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, you know, I think it actually, of all people, I think I heard um, the late, great Rob Skiba refer to it as, you know, this is something that people refer to as empty calorie. Um, yeah. One thing we wanted to uh, ask you about um, was uh, we're fans of, of yours. We're fans of Rob's. We're fans of um, Michael Heiser. Um, we were curious, though. Uh, there's this swirling debate um, about second incursion. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts upon the second incursion 
and how it relates to you know maybe what Rob's treatment of it was and what Michael's yeah. treatment of it is. Yeah. So if when we're talking about um, how giants survive the flood, yeah, yes, how they show up after the flood, right? And before we get into that, just let me say that Nephilim, which shows up in Genesis six four in the Hebrew word nephil, uh, I am is the male plural, only shows up two other times after the flood. Really? That's that's in Numbers thirteen thirty three, right? Where it twice calls the Anakim, the the, the Anak people, the Anakites, as being the children of giants, which is the Hebrew word nephil. That's in the evil part of the report, yeah. and that was something we have to be aware of. So, and, and, and for me, this is what I, I'd like to make people clear on it before we get into uh, the, how giants survive the flood, is that all the other times in the Old Testament, other than those three places where the uh, word is giant, except for one, it's in Job where it goes back to gibor or gibberim, which is usually a word used to describe the giants, but it doesn't have yeah. to. It can mean strong or it can be mighty. It can mighty describe men. angels. It can describe the strength of God, the mighty ones of, uh, of David. So you right. have to yep. apply it to the proper application again. Is the Hebrew word arapha, 7497, which means giant, and plural is Raphaim, and Raphaim show up uh, yes. uh, in Genesis 14 and Genesis 15 as a people. And the word mm. Rapha and Raphaim combined show up 25 times in the Old Testament. So oh, it's wow. used a lot. Yeah. Right? But the Anakim were not the Nephilim. The Anakim, as in Deuteronomy 2, is describing them as giants, which goes back to the Hebrew word Rapha and Raphaim, just as all the other, the Avim in there, the Horim, the Emim, mm -hmm. they're all Raphaim. They're all branches of the Raphaim. And the patriarch for the Anakim in Joshua is Arba. And Arba is not in the table of nations. Oh, that's because right. only names of people who are of the offspring of Noah are in the table yeah. of nations that give you the 70. So then you get right. nine patriarchs in the Canaanites. Um, you get named uh, three of them, which are Canaan, Heth, and Sidon. The rest are patriarchless. So I yeah. think that the patriarchs are Raphaim. They created human hybrids. These are the taller people that are recorded in Deuteronomy 1 and, hmm. and Numbers 13. Um, that is, are amongst the Anak kings in Numbers 13.33 and described in Deuteronomy 1 where all the accurate details are confirmed. Yeah. And so you got two separate peoples, and those peoples were including like the Amalekites and uh, the, um, the Amorites and the Canaanites and a few other tribes. These are the taller ones. These are the, from the patriarchless tribes, and the Canaanites would have had their daughters marry in. And it's, I'm going to cover this in detail in my book that's going to come out next year. But anyways, I'm, yeah. I'm going down too many rabbit holes here for you. So these, <laughs> that's okay. So, so these were not the – the Anak were not the children of – of uh, the Nephilim. They were actually described as what was being 
uh, seen by the scouts as three Anakim kings, which were Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai, who were the sons of the Anakim. So what yeah. was going on here in number 1333 is, is the terrified 10 scouts didn't want to go in and fight these people that were taller than them, and they're known as the Shazu or the Shamao or the Amao, depending on whether you're coming from sort of an Aryan sort of language or the Egyptians as the Shazu. They were thought to be six to nine feet tall, and the Rephaim were taller. These were the hybrid humans. And they didn't want to go in and fight these monsters, so they wanted to scare people. So they knew the Anakim were like Goliath, which would have been nine feet nine to 11 feet three, uh, 12 feet tall, depending on the cubit, or Og, let's put him at 12 to 14 feet based yeah. on his bed size, yeah. um, as opposed to the hybrids, which were taller, as described in Deuteronomy 1, as opposed to just stronger and mightier, you actually get the word taller as larger um, oh, in Deuteronomy 1, yeah. which confirms the details. But these three were the sons of an act. Yeah. Right. So they embellished it to Nephilim to scare the people. But what it did do was it resonated with the people because they were aware of. It was a cultural reference point for them. Yeah. Who the Nephilim were. Okay. Yeah. And right. that we get from that that the Nephilim were larger than the Raphaim because they were like grasshoppers. Yeah, embellished as tall as cedar trees yeah and then the cedar trees which is an embellishment because it's talking about the amorites which would have been you know 40 to 100 feet tall um, right. but that that's a simile that was just referencing to the giant trees of the forest which were the the cedar trees that were used in all the buildings around the ancient world so they were saying they were making a reference that they knew the connotation that the Israelites would take from that because they were aware of the antediluvian giants, which were bigger. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get a confirmation of the veracity of Genesis yeah. 6 4, even though it's used in an evil report or a bad report or an inaccurate report, depending on how you want to phrase it. So yeah. if we understand that, what we do know is giants show up after the flood. Right. So then the question was, is how do they? I know it was a long ways right. to get there. <laughs> hopefully, it was, <laughs> okay. hopefully it was an interesting tourist route, that, but we got there. Well, um, I had never thought of any of that before. That's awesome information. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, please continue. Yeah. there's. I put it into three buckets of possibilities because we, we're not told how. We're told only in Genesis 6, 1 through that when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and they did so again afterwards. We're not told when afterwards. And you could, it probably means again after wherever they did the creation of the giants because we only know the oath was sworn on Mount Hermon told where they actually created them. Yeah. Um, the sons of God's uh, oath on Mount Hermon. Uh, so there could have been other incursions by more than the 200 as Enoch numbers them afterwards before the flood. But it could also mean, again, after the flood. And what's really interesting about that is that you have parent gods in polytheism and you have mm -hmm. offspring gods. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so mm -hmm. if we're talking about parent god in Greek mythology would be like Kronos and Gaia mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. offspring gods are Zeus. Yeah. Now, the offspring gods are around both before and after the flood. The parent gods aren't. 
So you go over to the Cainite pantheon, right. you get the same thing with El, who's yeah. the father of Baal and the Baalim, who's ruining, you know, reigning from Mount Hermon. So mm -hmm. El's gone, but Baal's yeah. still there. What so that what sort of tells me is from a from uh, an interesting standpoint, which will start to fit when we look in the three buckets. Okay, so just keep that for a frame of mind. So the three buckets are my least favorite one uh, was, um, and we have to be open to all because we're yeah. not exactly told how. We're only show that they that they do. So we don't want to just write everything off just because I have a favorite of three in the groupings. <laughs> uh, is somehow on the ark. And that is either like in Jewish and Gnosticism mythology, you have Og or Tubal Cain being a stowaway, or other giants being a stowaway oh, on the right. ark, mm -hmm. right? Or on another ark, like in the Epic of Gilgamesh with that Pishtun, and you get all sorts of mythologies about that. Somehow on the mm -hmm. ark also would include um, some of the wives being giants. Right, that's or the one I having, having that DNA. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And also, in Gnosticism, all of them were giants, <laughs> or just the sons were giants. I mean, there's lots of different versions in terms of how they sort of get there. The DNA yeah. item one is interesting, but I'm I, I struggle with the aspect of holding the DNA from the giants if God was preserving the purity of the stock. I have right. a better understanding on the DNA that he would have had included within the wives because we don't get the genealogy of the wives, DNA yeah. that would include the other races so that you would have now why you have four races showing up again after the flood. That would make more sense to me. I'm not sure how you yeah. get both of that yeah. to mix in. but. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we don't know, so that's a possibility, but that's my least favorite. And then people will say that, well, that's because the DNA came out in the Canaanites. But then you've got all this interesting conflicts with the hybrids and the patriarchalist tribes that, you know, mm -hmm. that when you take that back to Hebrew, when it says the families of Canaan, it can mean families, but it can also mean a different kind, a different species. Hmm. All right. Yeah. yeah. So um, now you're really getting into it. The yeah. language doesn't pinpoint it. It leaves <laughs> no, it, it open. Yeah. yeah. So it makes more sense to me that they would take their names from Raphaim names, just as Arba was the father of the Nak. There'd be sort of an etymological link there, and there is a lot of that. And I go through that in 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 my book, and I didn't deal with that in the first book because it was long enough as it is. But I wasn't sure people were kind of ready for some of this stuff. So, yeah, anyways, yeah. that's yeah. the possibility. the uh, The next bucket is again somehow fallen angels have them survive, whether or not they provide them another ark, whether or not it's on top of a mountain where they protect them, whether they take them off the earth or in the earth, somehow right. they help them. Uh, yeah. Just as yeah. if we have beings that were saved from the Nakash or yeah. let's say the little people or some of the other things in, in sort of the, the mix of the genre of, of, shelter. Yeah, mm -hmm. of different types of mm -hmm. beings that they could have saved them as well. That's yeah. a possibility in the Epic of Gilgamesh, and we get arc stories all around the world. And in the Epic of Gilgamesh, you have Gilgamesh who is 
created after the flood along with an Akedon, and Gilgamesh is like six generations, so that's, and he's the son of Lugalbanda, so we get his genealogy, so he's not from before the flood. There may have been a giant named Gilgamesh before the flood, but this is clearly uh, a different one, and you have also in the epic of Gilgamesh the story of the flood with Atmatishan and all of his family, who were also, mm -hmm. like Gilgamesh and Anakedon, uh, were two-thirds God and one-third human. So they are Nephilim. So that's a Nephilim survival mm. story that comes from polytheism. And mm. whether or not that's true or not, they see the Ark through polytheism. So whether or not it is in... Uh, yeah. The Greek mythology with Deucalion and Pyrrha, who are the Greek Noahs, and the and and, and Noah's wife, not a chance, yeah. because <laughs> Deucalion is the son of Prometheus, which is either a Nephilim or a god, because they're named right. as both in Greek mythology. So that makes yeah. Deucalion a Nephilim. Yeah. So it's a it's a Nephilim survival mm -hmm. story again. So that's that's somehow with the help of angels, and then it's second incursion, which is my most favorite one um although i'm open more open to uh, somehow by the fallen angels than i am somehow on the ark uh, really? but second incursion makes more sense to me in terms of being you don't have to sort of get real legalistic with the wording in the bible um, but you could make the case somehow by the fallen angels where they help them because what the wording was is, is that God was only going to kill and destroy everything on the earth that he created except for the eight and those that were on, on the ark. Um, and that that's, hmm. leaves open to the idea that if the angels took yeah. those beings somewhere else in the earth or off the earth or some other dimension yeah. or whatever, that... It still doesn't sort of, you know, um, distort what's written. But mm. what's interesting, though, is, is that God was only wanting to have beings that weren't destroyed, not destroyed, um, that weren't degraded. So that when the whole earth was corrupt, that's the Hebrew word shakath. And that means spoiled, ruined, decayed. That means all of the plants. That means all of the animals and all but for the eight that went on the ark, both spiritually and physically. And mm. God knew which ones they were and called all the animals to the ark, which makes sense. That would be the best representatives. And kind is that word for species, different yeah. than families, but means species. And, and in the applications is used that way. He would have known the ones that weren't destroyed yeah right and those yeah. were what was saved so why would you have contaminated dna right in the wives interesting yeah. it defeats so, the purpose so second incursion makes the most sense for me that you now have giants that are smaller than the nephilim yeah from what we talked about earlier somehow distinct somehow and why they're called raphaim instead of nephilim and yeah. If the parent gods were sent to the abyss for their crimes, as Jude 1, 6, 2 Peter 2, 4, and 1 Peter mm -hmm. seem to indicate, then if there was a second incursion, then those angels, fallen uh, gods after the flood, would also go to the abyss. And that's why the Balim disappear, the mm -hmm. whole oh, pantheon of gods. Yeah. 
And if you look at it from can I can I ask you a question hierarchy. about that? I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I ask you a question about that? Because yep. mm -hmm. I've been I've you know I looking back through those verses. I mean, there's you know, there's a verse in First Peter, there's a verse in Second Peter. Of course, there's the verse in Jude, and then the account in Genesis six. God punishes the angels that commit that sin, the sons of God. Yeah. He punishes them, sends them to the abyss where they're locked away until the end. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. There's nothing that is explicit in that says. He punished those angels right when they committed the sin. Oh, it, uh, in in the Bible, there's nothing that says when he sends them to the abyss. Could they have committed well, this act, second actually, incursion? You, and then, if you look at if you look at First Peter and if you look at Second Peter in those passages, read the passages right after. It's all connected to the time of the flood when they were put into the prisons. You have to read the larger context. Okay. Right, that's where you get that okay. sort of connection. Okay. And in okay. Jude six, uh, they left their habitation when they sinned, and habitation yeah. is the mm -hmm. Greek word oikotarian, which means a dwelling mm -hmm. place for the spirit. And so, you only get oikotarian twice in the New Testament: once in Jude one six for habitation, and in two Corinthians five two. For the house, which is oikotarian, that's in heaven. It's a dwelling place for the spirit, just as Jesus promised us. God has many mansions for us in heaven. So at that before before the resurrections happen, you have you have a dwelling place for the spirit, and you have a dwelling place on earth for a spirit as well. And that's part of what we're made up is of is which is the body, the soul, and the spirit. And the spirit comes from heaven that only God and Jesus can. Um, separate. And so that body and that soul is the oikotarian, the dwelling place for the spirit in the physical world. Not that angels have to have a physical oikotarian. They can be a spiritual right. presence, an opalescent presence, but to <clears throat> physically interact in the world, they need to create a body so that yeah. they can talk, drink, whatever. And yeah. It seems that they would be permitted to do that, just as with angels in um, the Sodom narrative and visiting with right. Abraham are humans, and we get a human in Daniel mm -hmm. and uh, one, yeah. uh, one other place. We get examples of them actually interacting physically, eating, drinking, talking, touching. So they have mm -hmm. the ability to do that. That is not illegal. But to yeah. violate the laws of creation and to have sex to create a counterfeit spirit and an immortal spirit in the physical world in a physical body broke yeah. the laws of creation. Mm. Uh, and all life comes from the spirit of God at God's command, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's the sin that you can't commit because nothing can, can, can save you as what is yeah. that we're told in Matthew. And right. so... We get those sort of connections in there, but you got to dig a, dig a little bit deeper and, 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 and you know, connect all of the passages that, that are connected. And so when you have the parent gods leaving, if you understand that the hierarchy amongst the angels is understood as a hierarchy when you have the word host, which is used in association with stars and angels and the sons of God, oh, right. Saba. Yeah is the Hebrew word for host. And that means an army of angels. Mm -hmm. The angelic and, host. Yes. And within an army, you have a hierarchy. 
And so when the parent gods left, the offspring gods stepped up and took yeah. over. And all around the world, you get these offspring, these parent gods dying in polytheism, which they're immortal, they can't die. Right. And that these offspring gods overthrow them and then they take over. They didn't overthrow them. They just didn't Stepped create the, the giants yeah. before the flood. They created them after the flood is, I guess, where I'm, where I'm going with that. But these, these angels, these angels that kind of stepped into that, the, the, the parent angels had been punished. And then the yes. flood comes along. And then after the flood, there are still angels. But are these fallen angels specifically that step into that role? Or are they not yet fallen? Yes, yes. They are fallen angels because they're the offspring gods, right? Whether or not they were physically made from two angels before or that's just the allegory of sort of the rank and sort of the mythology that sort of gets written into it. Because everything in polytheism is allegorical. You have to dig deeper to get to the true meaning. Yeah. Right, and they give you the fairy tale story up the top, but you have to be an adept to understand everything sort of underneath. Right. So, when you have the angels that go to the abyss, not all the angels went to the abyss, Satan didn't go to the abyss, True. and yeah. only the ones that were probably created the crimes against humanity and the earth and against the Holy Spirit they went to the abyss. And we get an example of that even with the demonic spirits, which I think are the Nephilim, because you have. Um, these spirits are permitted to go to sleep and they aren't permitted to go to heaven because they're a counterfeit spirit. And i got to have a document on this yeah. just as I do for a second incursion for people and the one on the Oikotarian as well. So if people want that, just get a hold of me. I'll send you those documents. Yeah. Um, so if, but yet we get in Ezekiel 32 with these spirits that are talking to Pharaoh. And this is also a prophecy. It's one of those prophecies that I call the dual prophecy that has important information in prehistory that you need to understand what's going on at the time of the prophet and in the end time. And it's a prophecy for the life of that prophet or shortly thereafter and for the end time with implications and sort of a repeat sort of mechanism. You got these spirits that are talking to the Pharaoh and they're in the cells along the sides of the abyss, separate prisons. Huh than the abyss and they're huh. called the terrible ones who did terrible oh, things on earth and the ones who were slain and weren't permitted to wander weren't permitted to sleep weren't permitted into heaven these are the of the ones the terrible ones that are taken to the abyss and is talking to other terrible ones on earth hmm. in this case Pharaoh, and it's not just terrible ones that are used in Ezekiel. It's in Isaiah, and it's in a number of other mm, chapters. Terrible. And so, books that we never read, you know, yeah, Isaiah, so, Zeke, Ezekiel, we never hear yeah, those in it, church. Everything's important in the detail. We may not in the Bible, we may not recognize it, but it's there for a purpose. So now roll this forward with the demons to the time of Jesus, and he's dealing with right. these evil spirits. Yep. Right? These are the yeah. ones not in the abyss. They're not the terrible yeah. ones. They're just the bodiless spirits Legion. of the demons. And yeah. even if you thought they were angels, that would say not all of the fallen angels were in the abyss. But these are evil spirits. It's not. Yeah. The, 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 the Greek word has nothing to do with yeah. um, angels. That is one of the and most it, frustrating actually is demons things. is the word. D-A-E-M-O-N-S, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and an evil spirit can be an evil fallen angel or a demon. It's, it's, Which even has a neutral to... definition in Greek, you know, yeah. the demon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not all the fallen angels, not all the rebellious angels 
were sent to the abyss, only the worst yeah. ones. And then that's why you have some still around after the flood. And then they would have gone to the abyss. So then after those ones go to the abyss, you, you have other ones that would take over. Because in Psalms 82, you have the council of the gods. That uh, is not the same word for con congregation that's used in Isaiah 14, 12, that God is. It's a different counterfeit council that's hmm. overseen by Satan who wants to be like God, right? Interesting. And oversee his. And they rule over the 70 nations that are talked about in Deuteronomy 32. The 70 nations that were as counted as the number of sons born to Israel or Jacob in Egypt. The same number oh, yeah. of the 70 uh, sons born to Adam before the flood and the 70 patriarchs that we talked about that are missing nine in the Canaanite families in Genesis 10 and 1 Chronicles 1. So that's sort of how you kind of knit that all together. It blows awesome. my mind how well he has all this mapped out. He I know. Just... Gary, do you, do you see all the verses in front of you like uh like tom cruise and minority report with just the you know all the different <laughs> like i picture yeah. i picture gary's mind just being like just you know rummaging through just flicking through all these different you know holographic three-dimensional yeah images. and and you it have to very be able, impressive yeah the, uh, well it's not quite like that but i do think in pictures and i don't have a photographic memory but i think that way and so yeah. you can't get too many of those things floating around because then you're not gonna you're just gonna be gibberish so you have to <laughs> you have <laughs> right. to kind of try and organize that and well that is the beauty uh, one of the beautiful things about the bible and and studying the bible for so long that i am just now gaining an appreciation of is you know once you it's sort of like that that philosophical thing of once you understand the way you see it in all things like it all sort of starts to not mesh or not blend together but it starts to you understand the fabric you know, and how it's all interwoven mm -hmm. and yeah. so tightly well, together. And so if you didn't know some of this, you won't know what is coming out of the abyss. Right. Yeah. You won't know who... And these, you won't be prepared. You won't be prepared. You won't know who these beings are Yeah. that are going to be yeah. present and we're going to be told all sorts of crazy things of who they are yeah. as we're moving to world government and, and moving to a point where we're rebelling from God and, and, and having uh, uh, a day of destiny where they can actually try and fight for their freedom from, from right. God again and you have know, humans go along for the ride. You won't, you won't be ready for any of that. Well, and no one's ready for it. Like, I'll, Real quick, funny little anecdote. I worked in a court office for about a year and a half, and um, in, it was right before COVID really hit. And, um, you know, there was some alien stuff that was coming out. You know, the Navy was releasing like some you possible know, disclosure. disclosure right. yeah. You know, there was yeah. all that stuff going on. And uh, and I used to I mean, I believe it, but I used to say in the office all the time that like aliens are just demons like, yeah. or they're just fallen, like whatever they are. They're not extraterrestrial. They're not what we are told they are. There is this and we would do a lot of, you know, huddles and like inter-office meetings and you could quote something from a book or whatever very office space all uh, yeah. it's all tps reports right <laughs> and so like but they would say all the time like you could quote anything from any religious or philosophical text but the second you mention jesus yeah you are it's cancel culture yeah yep. dude everybody culture. gets uptight you yeah. know and it's almost like there is this 
people will not be prepared for it, but there is this Luciferian kingdom where yeah. anything goes except that one person. And it's almost like, well, that's how you know where there's smoke, there's fire, mm -hmm. you know? Well, just think of what how people will react when they come out with false evidence saying Jesus yeah. didn't die on the cross. No. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Right. You, right. you know, I think one of the biggest problems we're going to have in the next 50 years is uh, theosophy, uh, mm -hmm. Christ consciousness. You know, mm. there is this new age bastardization of Christianity, yep. you know, that really teaches like, oh, well, we're all we can all be Christ and we're all, you know, and you can manifest Christianity mm -hmm. or, or Jesus inside it, you know, and it's all just yep. it, it's all new age hogwash. Well, uh, there will be something to that. In terms yeah. of the antichrists yeah because they believe in the antichrists that are coming as being incarnated right right which which is something completely different than how the word becomes flesh yeah where you have the oikotarian created for the word spirit to come into the world to interact physically and then to atone for for the crimes uh, of the world as the creator of the world at God's behest as, at his command yeah. so it's kind of if you understand what we're being prepared for with the avatar and the avatara yeah. there's two components to that the avatar is the fallen angel the avatara is the human so in that incarnation it goes into an existing human being not an oikotarian that's being created so different than Jesus, and yeah. it will be a symbiotic relationship that the individual either takes as, as a child or they ask for the help to come in and it will add to the wisdom, right? So just as yeah. Buddha, uh, and, they, and they talk in, let's say, in Eastern religions as the new, new Buddha being an antichrist or Lord Maitreya, Buddha was an incarnation of Vishnu, and Narashima was the incarnation of Shiva, the destroyer god, or an Azazel oh, yeah. type of god, Abaddon, mm -hmm. Apollyon, right? And the reason why that's important is, is because the deception with uh, the Narnia tales with Aslan is a lion god. Well, yeah. Narashima hmm. was a lion man. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. and okay. Aslan was an incarnation, as Jesus would be, on another planet or another universe, is kind of how uh -huh. Lewis sort of portrayed it. So they're preparing right. people for that incarnation, and that yeah. we're going to see Antichrist have that kind of incarnation. Now, we get an example of that in the Bible, believe it or not. Really? Yes, and it happens in the time of Jesus, and it happens in the betrayal of Jesus, that at the point where Judas gets to... You know, having to do mm -hmm. it or not, yep. mm -hmm. Satan enters into him to give him the courage and the strength to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, roll that forward to the end time. Okay. Okay. Revelation 13, the Antichrist, yes. receives the power from the dragon. Seraphim mm -hmm. angel, probably Satan. Could be Azazel, the one as the one who comes up oh, from the abyss. That's why I kind of make that sort of connection. And hmm. okay. he receives a mortal head wound. Right. So he's going to fake the. He's also going to fake the resurrection because everything that right. Antichrist has to do and all things that the fallen angels do is counterfeit everything about God and the Word of God. Yeah, it's, it's like Spirit. bizarro Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bizarro <laughs> Jesus. And he's going to receive the power from the dragon. That sounds to me like there is that 
incarnation that's going into Antichrist at a certain point that will give him that additional power from the dragon to do right. the things that people will say who is like the beast. Yeah. Yeah. And that is uh that is one of the key signatures of the Antichrist is, you know, the the mortal head wound, mm -hmm. the infusion, much like Judas, of the draconic power. Mm -hmm. You know, the and man, and it, you know what? It makes you as a Christian, it kind of makes you quake in your boots that like, man, something like that could happen to Judas. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. Keep a one guard of the, about one yourself, of the twelve you know? at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like right there with Jesus the Scary. whole time. Like, you know, you never let your guard down. You know, yep. whether it's whether it's a metaphor, you know, whether Satan is a metaphor or not uh, in that particular context of coming into somebody and, you know, uh, whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's just man, you can't let your guard down. About, well, you know, the one thing I always try and do to that, I think, brings clarity um, and it really sort of gets rid of the, the fuzziness. That's why I say it brings that clarity is I try and put everything possible around what Jesus said. And he said a lot. So you can cover off a lot of things, and particularly prophecy. you got to put everything around what Jesus said, not vice versa. So now if yeah. you're talking about Satan, is he real or is he not real? You mm -hmm. have in Luke 10, 18, he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He didn't yeah. see a metaphor. Well, he's a character, <laughs> right. And he's a character in Job. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, yeah. He Look, I wrote a whole seven novel series God. about, so you know. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's he is a degraded being to Satan's status. Yeah. And, yeah. and as the leader. And in Isaiah 14, 12, where you have this Italian name. Lucifer. Lucifer inserted yeah, you for who, you who walk Hebrew the fiery stones. Into the English language in the King James Version Bible, which sounds yeah. very odd when you think about it that way. That word is That's true. Hale, yeah. H E Y L E L in, in Hebrew. Yeah. It's a name. Yeah. Like Michael or Gabriel or Raphael El, or yep. Uriel or mm -hmm. Azazel. Yeah. Angelic names and in an E-L. And he's yeah. the son of the morning, Hail Al Ben Shakar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's been degraded and he is a great being before the fall. Right. He is, we know he's. The dragon in Revelation 12. So that means he's seraphim that's described in Isaiah 6, which is a serpent-faced uh, angelic being with six wings, which is a flying serpent, which is known as a dragon. He's a seraphim. We know in, yeah. in Ezekiel 28, he is a cherubim that covers oh, the throne. But he walks yeah. amongst the fiery stones. Cherubim don't do that. That's what the seraphim do. Yeah. Hmm. What are the uh, fiery front stones, of the by the way? Have, has anybody ever explored what the fiery stones are, Gary? Well, not really. I mean, we know just from the simple words we get, but it was able to take the sins away from Isaiah. Because oh, the seraphim put it to his lips. So this yeah, has lips, extraordinary yeah. power as in front really? of the altar of God. So it's a purification kind of... Yeah, and, and the ministers of God, the seraphim angels, that That's also cool. um, control government on earth, work yeah. before, and I'll, I'll come back to this on a couple of points here, just as I close off on this. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, so we know that he's cherubim and he's seraphim by his descriptions, right? But he is also has nine jewels, which is right. an indication of priesthood. So he's probably, as the seraphim aspect, and as the cherubim in the fiery stones was the high priest, 
that Jesus will take over as part of the Melchizedek order. We also know yeah. Satan was an archangel. We don't know how many titles and names that he had, mm. right. but this was a unique, powerful um, yeah. angel that uh, fell. It just sort of adds to how far he fell. Right. And he was, and I don't think he had sex with uh, any of the females. He had his, his loyal angels do that, uh, at least some of them, because he didn't go to the abyss. Yeah, he doesn't go. Yeah. He doesn't go to. Yeah, the he didn't commit the same sin. Yeah. as the as the Gregory. Yeah, did, as he, the he, did, he doesn't yeah. go to the abyss until uh, the end of the last seven years after Armageddon. Right, and then he's yeah. held there for a thousand years. So what's interesting about that is is okay, it makes sense to leave them there for a thousand years so that you can give him one more chance to uh, deceive the people at the end of the millennium before he goes to the lake of fire, whereas the rest of the angels go to the lake of fire at the end of Armageddon along with false prophet yeah. and antichrist. But does he produce antichrist from his seed and one of the reasons why he goes to the I, abyss? I mean, I don't mm. know. I'm just saying he didn't go as a sexual crime. Yeah. Okay, so kind of interesting in terms of, of, of how who the Antichrist might actually have a pedigree from. But that's just my speculation on that aspect. But what isn't my speculation is this understanding of what else the seraphim, and in this case, the fallen seraphim, mm -hmm. how they interacted on the earth. And what's really interesting about the seraphim hierarchy, even though they're part of that hierarchy, um, and, and particularly as, as recorded in um, Enoch as part of the Watchers, Right, you have the Ophanim, which are the ones between the wheels. Ophan is the word wheel. I am oh, male plural. Right, you have the cherubim, and you also have the archon. So there are all the ones who are awake all of the time, which is, you know, yeah. the root word I hear for watcher, um, that we're going to come back to. Um, you have the seraphim um, who are in charge of not only the religion on the earth, which and and the government, which is why you have all that serpent imagery. These are mm -hmm. the sons of God who procreate with the uh, human females in Genesis 6 is why you have the kings looking like serpents early on and called serpents and even down the road Google Akhenaten and you'll see those um, serpentine features on his face and that's watered down a thousand years after the flood or so but where I'm going with this is that yeah, we get an example yeah. of the of the seraphim as the ones who uh, pertain to government in Daniel 4, and you get the term watcher used four times, which is the um, Hebrew word ayir um, oh, yeah. for watcher. And it's about who's ruling and who God permits to rule. And they're the ones in control of that government aspect, just as watchers are the ones controlling. And I don't care where you look, whether it's Enoch or anywhere outside the book, in terms of all the gory details of the antediluvian epoch, they control the religion and the government all, all around the world. Principalities what's really, and powers. Yeah. And what's really interesting is about that um, contracted word, Sair, was it comes from Ayir as a watcher. And then Sair oh, is the Hebrew word for satir. And it's oh, like yeah. sort of a compound word hmm. for, uh, <laughs> and these are devil goat gods, right? These are, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Pan. These are like mm -hmm. uh, Cern, Cernunos, Bacchus. They exist in the wilderness Did with you say Lilith. Cern? Basil. 
Yeah, I did. I did say, sir, that's part of the Etruscan pantheon. Cernunos is the same type yeah. of god in the yeah, There's a reason why pantheon. it's called CERN. Yeah. Is that why they named the yeah, of course. particle Shiva. collider? Yeah. And Shiva. Wow. Yeah. And so Azazel is depicted as a degraded seraphim fallen angel. Yeah. As a satyr, a devil goat god. And I think what is being demonstrated is, is that's how fallen angels who didn't go to the abyss yeah. were degraded to um, afterwards. Uh, there's definitely a connection between the watchers and the seraphim yeah. and the satyr. And Ayer is watcher, and you get a lot of words that come from S words like Saba and Sab that mean hairy, just as the satyrs were also very hairy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the other yeah. interesting name that comes along with uh, Sair or Satir is the name Seir, S-E-I-R, both the mountain and the Horim chief, which is a Raphaim uh, that's yeah. described in Deuteronomy 2 in Genesis 36. That is Seir, who um, is leading the Horim in Edom, whom mm. Eliphaz's uh, Eliphaz, who's son of Esau, is going to marry Tina, a whoring female, to create the hybrid branch of Amalekites, which are different than the Amalekim that are in Genesis 14 because hmm, that predates right. Genesis 36. The Amalekim were another uh, aspect of the, of the Raphaim or a different kind of giant, and they're listed with the giant nations that the Mesopotamian alliance, who are all giant kings as well, covering that off in my next book as well, right. are warring with the giants in the covenant land. Yeah. I have a question for you about kind of going back to Daniel and some of the prophecies and the, you know, uh, global government, also global religion. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that in one of your chapters in your book, when you're talking about the new Nimrod, one mm -hmm. of the things I want to ask is it, it, I want to explore the connection between Nimrod. Yeah. in the Bible and the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you said that before the Antichrist, in your book you say before the Antichrist comes, there will already be a global government and a global religion that yeah. he replaces with his own. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. So what do you think, my, my question is, what do you think that prerequisite global religion might look like? Like what should be on the lookout well, for? It's Babylon. So yeah. what happens in Revelation uh, 17, the 10 kings uh, hand their power over for one hour to the Antichrist and they destroy Babylon. And Babylon is a city, it's said nine times, which in Revelation 14, 17, and 18, nine times is a city. So we know it's a city. It also controls all of the commerce. So it's also a commercial uh, organization. It is also a mystery religion, and I won't go through, I can, I can give you all the different words that describe it as a mystery polytheist religion that are used in the description from being, you know, a harlot to the mystery religion, and on yeah. and on and on. Uh, and so it's all of that, right? So that's the religion that comes before, and she controls all of the beast empires. It's part of that organizational hierarchy. And they answer to Babylon, and they are the ones who get are permitted to form the Ten King Empire because of Babylon. So it's that mystical religion that comes first. Yeah. Antichrist will destroy this city and place in Revelation 17, and in Daniel 11, 
will replace it with a god to worship that none of uh, people's fathers have worshipped before. And this is the, the religion of Antichrist and, and the dragon, as Revelation 13 talks about. And that happens at the midpoint after the abomination, after he takes the crown. So that's how I sort of come about that sort of quickly in terms of what who that religion is. And that's why when we talk about Babylon, that root word, whether it comes through the Greek, which connects then back to the Hebrew Babel, is mm -hmm. the, the root word for that. And that's why we need to understand prehistory, because it's the religion that Nimrod is re-establishing within 100 years after the flood as an antichrist archetypical figure yeah reign over all of the adamites at that time and he re-implements this religion which is that enochian mysticism yeah from before the flood and mm -hmm. yeah. i know this is masonic history but what how they say this comes about is is that hermes finds the uh, 36,525 books of Enoch, the evil son of Cain, and the mystical Enochian religion that he starts before um, the mm -hmm. flood. I won't go through all of that history, but he takes that knowledge and that religion knowledge back to Hermes, and that knowledge is used to start building the city, building the tower, right. and they implement yeah. this mystery religion. And so yeah. all of the religions that are part of the beast empires rolling forward are the daughters of Babylon. Right. And that's where mm. that imagery comes back in. So this is that same religion that was part of that organizational structure, whether it was in Egypt, which is a beast empire, one of the seven. And there's two mm -hmm. allegories. Daniel eight is accurate as well. It's just adding more information and coming from that zeros in more on Antichrist and the seven empires that you can get out of there with Alexander, the four states that are provided afterwards and then Rome oh, and then right. revive Rome. Right. It's both. They're both. Yeah. Both the seven from the Beast Empires and Daniel 8 are accurate. It just provides you more information. Um, and so you have Egypt is the womb for Israel. It's one of the Beast Empires. You have Babel or Assyria, probably Assyria, but it's rooted in the Babel imagery. And Assyria is the one that brings about the apocalypse and takes the northern tribes into exile who won't resurface again until the end time. And you have um, Babylon, uh, which takes Judah into exile. You have Persia, which frees them, the Persian, the Medes. Then you have the Greeks invading Greeks. Yep. Israel yep. again. And you have the Romans invading and then doing the next diaspora. All of the beast religions or all the beast empires that are yeah. listed in prophecy as, as how they interact with Israel and Judah. And you mm. have to have... Judah, the southern kingdom, back in the land of the covenant, controlling Jerusalem for that ten-king empire to come around, because that's a beast empire that is going to interact with Judah, and they're going to permit them to do, with the covenant in Daniel 9.27, the sacrifice on a wing overspreading an extremity of the temple, depending on which translation that you're reading that's talked about in the book of Daniel. Uh, for the first three and a half years till the abomination. And then the Antichrist comes to power at the midpoint, sets up his own new religion, and he's the eighth king beast empire, and he's a beast as well. And of course, when we're talking about beasts, you have the beast religion, you have the beast organization, you have the beast empires, and you have the beast Antichrist. And you have to 
understand all of those work directionally together, but they're nuances of what the beast is. That's and, interesting. Yeah, because the number eight, too, you know, in uh, new, biblical numerology, it's the number of completion. Right. It's the number of completion. So he yeah. completes something. Um, I have a question about that. So in Daniel, you know, uh, the fourth kingdom in Daniel's vision, you, know, you talked about, you know, uh, the, uh, the the Assyrians, the Babylonian, oh, excuse me, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks. Then there's that, uh, and, and Romans, so forth. There's that fourth king you mentioned, which is like this coming global government. So in that vision, there's a piece of there's a piece of that statue that's iron mixed with clay. Iron yeah. mixed clay, and it's yep. a divided kingdom. Yep. My yep. question is, who's the iron and who's the clay? They won't mix, but they are all a part of this kingdom. Yeah. Well, typically, I mean, we're talking about metallic, uh, the metallic prophecies in Daniel 2, and clay is kind of something that generally relates to Adamites and the earth, as you take uh, right. Adam and Adama back the to the red clay, yeah. in terms of its meaning. And I think you have two different types of um, ten mm. kings that might be going on here. Uh, you could have strongmen. And you could have bloodline descendants, or you could have this bloodline descendants that have a lot of human um, bloodlines intermixed so that they don't die of diseases and stuff. And you could have Raphaim or Nephilim that are back in the end time that um, are also part. And also maybe why you have two legs and, and two feet, you, got, uh, you know, maybe five of each. I'm just sort of speculating mm. on that. But what <laughs> I can't, what awesome. I can't overlook is the wording in the King James Version Bible as you get to the, the end. I think it's in uh, verse 30 something in it. Um, but where the seed of these empires will mix their seed with, I mean, where the yeah, the descendants of these empires will mix their seed with human seed. Yeah, we're right back to it, aren't we? Yeah. So <laughs> there's a different. So there's a relationship here to the Rephaim, whether it's descendants or other ones coming back, and that iron and clay. And so when you look at the antediluvian world, they had the same metallic colors for the ages of the antediluvian world. Mm -hmm. And the iron was at the end of it when the Nephilim, or the heroes in Greek mythology, uh, had rebelled against the gods and had sort of gone crazy yeah. and turned totally evil. It could be a reference to something like that. Yeah. Because the metals that are used in the metallic empires are the same ones that start with the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. And then the Silver Age, oh, right. and then the Bronze Age in their allegory, and then the Iron yeah. Age at the end, just before the Flood. Wow. Long before any archaeologist quantified any of that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is how it reaffirms, you know, it reaffirms everything that science figures out, you know, 2,000 years later. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask a question, and then I have to go use a little boys yeah yeah you so i'm actually going to yeah. do something yeah, yeah. i'm going to give myself Coffee. a surprise i'm going to i'm going to ask you a question gary and then i want you to answer it so that when i can come back i can listen to this later 
and actually, you know, I'm going to take my turn answer. later too. Yeah. Well, we have a good two hours. We can't sit here and pop. I want to be able to focus on <laughs> yeah. what, what Gary's saying. So, so we'll take turns. It's cool. It's a live stream. So it's no this problem. This is such a, this is such a cool topic about the antichrist. Uh, in as far as like inheriting, uh, or replacing a religion, um, you know, replacing Babylon with his own system. Um, if you had to speculate, which I know is probably not something you prefer to do, but I just kind of want to go out on a limb here. If you had to speculate, Gary, what do you think the religion of Babylon would be that he would replace? And are we seeing any of it now in our present day? Mm. Good question. Okay, I'm off to the potty. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that if we understand the mystery religion as being the Enochian mysticism, the religion of Nimrod, this is the worship of the pantheon of the fallen gods, mm -hmm. but not of the representative that sits above the council that all answer and report to Satan. Now, if we look at what Daniel might be talking about in this new religion and this new God. So, and, and, and let me sort of back up a step. So when they're talking in polytheism about worshiping the sun God or Osiris, or it is, um, you know, any of those gods, those are all an allegory for Satan. Okay, so they okay. worship on the surface. And Satan isn't worshipped overtly, or, I mean, he isn't worshipped visibly. Mm -hmm. I mean, but the fallen, he's, he's just kind of like, but that religion gets to side. So that those who take the mm. mark, Revelation 13, and or who worship Antichrist, and or who worship Satan in those last three and a half years, will go to the lake of fire with the fallen angels and will be will burn there in torment forever. As, as we get that in a couple other passages moving on in uh, into Revelation. And if we go back to Daniel again, in Daniel 11, where it's talking about he will introduce a new God that their fathers didn't know. They weren't worshipping Satan as that visible, physical yeah. God. Uh, they were worshipping the Pantheon. I think that gets washed aside, and they are worshipping Antichrist and Satan visibly and understanding them mm. to be God and the word of God as the counterfeit mm. God and the counterfeit Messiah. So I think that's what they're talking about because it's, if it, it was so interesting to me when it clicked on that, it just didn't say those who are going to go to the lake of fire that took the mark of the beast. It was also, and it's repeated. It's not just the once mm. you get it uh, two or three times in revelations that if you worship Satan and worship or, and or worship Antichrist, you're going to the lake of fire. And it's always in there with those who take the mark of the beast. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think that might be what is going to to be coming out because ultimately, Satan in 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 Isaiah fourteen wants to be worshipped like God. He wants to be like yeah. God, and he wants to raise his his throne into heaven to be like God. And we're going to see a war in heaven in Revelation 12 and Daniel 8 where it's described. And it fails at the midpoint of the last seven years when all the fallen angels and Satan are tossed down to the earth. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
And so all the angels are going to be there, but it's not going to be Babylon that's worshipped. And in Isaiah 34, 18, you get all of these creatures, and also in Isaiah 13, including satyrs and dragons and these other things mm -hmm. that are dancing. One's at the time of Babylon, and the other one is at the time of Armageddon. And mm -hmm. so I think they're celebrating in those two passages, and you've got like Lilith and the mm. owls and like all of these ah allegories of these fallen angels including satyrs and both i think they're celebrating the, the deception mm -hmm. that they did with the mystery religion and then they're celebrating just before armageddon how many more people that they uh, deceived and are going to burn forever in the lake of fire because that's all mm. they have to celebrate and they've only right. had that to celebrate since something happened that they didn't anticipate Mm -hmm. And in all of these revenges, whether or not it's Satan um, sponsoring the fall of Adam and Eve through the Nakash in Eden, because mm -hmm. he didn't lose his arms and his legs, <laughs> he didn't, <laughs> right. you know, he didn't, he didn't get punished. It was Nakash, right. so he's working with them, and maybe he avatared them, maybe he coached them, or maybe he was actually mm -hmm. entering yeah. in to to help the the uh, the Nakash do this. Um, that's the first revenge against human because they don't want humans to be raised in the future life. They don't want us to judge them for their crimes and particularly their crimes against humanity. And we yeah. will judge mm -hmm. angels for that, as, as the Bible tells us. And That's they didn't right. want us to be maybe yeah, perhaps we'll be raised. They perhaps didn't want us to be raised higher than angels because we're going to be adopted as Jesus, as brothers. Like right. to be like angels, but raised higher, I think, in that adoption as a brother of Jesus, and that yeah. angels will serve those who inherit eternity. So I think when you put that together, yeah. is is they don't want humans to um, be Usurper. higher than them, and uh, and they've yeah. been trying to destroy the Adamites. Yeah. Ever since. And that was the first yeah. revenge. And the second revenge, as I write in my book, is creating the giants to enslave humankind and prevent mm -hmm. them from um, accomplishing uh, becoming like angels. And so much so that they almost get there, yeah. except for mm -hmm. God saves eight, which is eight why people, it's yeah. important to understand Man. that, right? And then. Yeah. You have all these different revenges after it, whether or not it's trying to destroy Israel all the way through, whether or not mm -hmm. it's trying to have, because they're trying to prevent the Messiah from coming about. That's the end game. Right. right? Israel that was is that Rob Skiba's thing of like the seed yeah. war. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Israel is created to present the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah yeah. is there to save humankind somehow, some way. They just don't know quite how. And we know that. Yeah. Because they tried to kill him as a child. They tried to prevent him from being born. Right. And then yeah. Satan tried to get him to, to switch over when he was an adult, just before he heads out on his, right. on his commission. They didn't mm -hmm. anticipate, as Corinthians talks about, the resurrection. And as it says, otherwise they wouldn't have had them yeah. had him crucified. So they didn't anticipate that. So they since they that won. point in time... <laughs> Since that point in time, and I think this is when Jesus, while still in the grave in First Peter 3, goes down and talks to these evil spirits in the abyss, mm -hmm. in hell, yeah. yep. in Tartarus, yeah. um, that your rebellion is officially over. Yeah. 
and you yeah. will be going to the lake of fire as, as the book of Matthew talks about. And yeah. all they can do from that point on is deceive more people and destroy more people. Yeah. That's all they can do. Their, their fate is sealed yeah. with the, with, yeah. with the resurrection. And it's just a vengeance game at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you know, when you see these, these imageries of beings in the Psalms, that's, that's projecting Jesus being crucified. You get all of this imageries of these beings that are taunting Jesus on the cross. Yeah. They had no idea. They thought they had won there. They yeah. had not realized they had lost. And those are the beings that aren't in the abyss that were taunting him around. Yeah. And, and so when we have them dancing at the destruction, these beings, satyrs, dragons, owls, this imagery of occult gods in Isaiah 13 at the time of the destruction of Babylon and then Isaiah 34 at the time of Armageddon, that's celebrating destruction that they've been able to reign even though they can't prevent humans being raised to be higher than them and being the ones who are going to judge them for the, high, mm. the, the crimes against humanity and the crimes against creation. Yeah. It's got to drive them mad Yeah, to think that we're going to be elevated higher than them. Well, that was always my conceit with, um, you know, I wrote the Heavenly Realms series, which is all about, you know, the fall of Lucifer and his transformation into Satan and the wars between the angels and, you know, all, and all of that stuff was like, my bread and butter for that fiction series that I wrote. It is fun, you know, it wasn't, but, but that was the driving point. What that was the original conceit that ultimately turned, you know, the Lucifer slash Satan character into what he's going to become, which is he, and it's in like the first 50 pages of the book. He talks about how like, we're not going to be subservient to the they don't you know they don't even look like us you know mm-hmm. and he goes on to this paranoid rant of like well we're going to be replaced by him by these humans and that's how he sort of tricks the other angels into leading whatever it's it's a draw but yeah that aspect of of the of the drama is very real that like they just can't stomach bending the knee to mm-hmm. humans because mm. they were here first, and they existed in the presence of God, and, and the, it's, and the it's idea pride that thing, they might which, serve us yep. in the in, and, right, and, and be some, judged by us. Yeah. How how dare and, we judge them? Yeah. You know that kind of yeah. Thing. And and they were created immortal, and with right. more knowledge, not and given intimate knowledge of God. Yeah, yeah. And humans, yeah. Uh, even Adam and Eve, they were created in the physical world, not as a as as a spiritual being of heaven having mm-hmm. the spirit breathed into them yeah as we're told in, in genesis 2 but they needed access to the tree of life to have physical immortality in the physical world yeah and we might have seen a whole different thing play out if satan had succeeded but god is alpha omega as is jesus and they knew the beginning from the end so they knew all the different things the angels were going to do before they even did it right (laughs) yeah so all all things were anticipated (laughs) and that's because god is allowing also things to play out through free choice right right? so yes immortal angels had were created without choice as immortal but they had free choice Mm -hmm. to follow god and his laws or not and they chose not to humankind have very little knowledge and have to choose god on faith for the most part and yeah. after the fall, we got even less information. And so the only way right. we can choose 
get our immortality is to choose God and Jesus through faith with very little knowledge. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to be raised higher is, is because that faith is the key. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show, maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness. <laughs>